I assure you, it only gets better because if you keep your mind on Jesus. <laughs> That's it. Um, the presence of God is so strong. So good. I want to remind you guys real quick before I move on and jump into this message tonight that um, we have a, a prayer leader meeting that's coming up Wednesday, 530. See how I do announcements? It's like an echo <laughs> from heaven. Um, I would love to invite you if you'd like to participate on our prayer team that happens during the week. Please come and uh, listen to what we're doing. Uh, we need more prayer leaders to step up. And, um, and so just so you guys know, all during the week, Monday through Saturday, this place has people in here praying. And, um, and, and you know, the Bible says, let two or three agree in his name. It's perfectly okay if there's only two or three in here praying, all right? Now, but we would like more because I think more the merrier, you know? So uh, please come if you uh, would like to hook up with the prayer team, what we're doing in here, uh, interceding and praying. Uh, for just so many different issues. Uh, come to this meeting on Wednesday. I'd love to see you guys and share more about that vision with you. Um, now, in, in the last several weeks, man, there's just been so much going on. I, I feel like I'm just like, it's just unreal. You start fasting and seeking God and, and he just starts doing only the things that he can do. And, um, and so we're just overwhelmed with his presence, his power. It doesn't mean whenever you begin to fast and pray and seek God that you're not going to get resistance. A lot of times whenever you determine to set your face like Flint to do something for God, it's right there. The enemy comes trying to punch you in the nose and make you go, well, you know, are you really going to do this? You know? And um, I remember hearing a story one time, and maybe this was uh, a. A. Allen, who uh, this this story is about, but he went to fast and pray, and he decided he was going to lock himself in a closet to fast and seek the Lord, and um, and he could begin to smell the biscuits in the house, and he they just kind of swept up underneath the door where he was in this closet praying, and. Um, after a period of time, he was in this prayer closet praying and fasting for like miracle signs and wonders. He was seeking God, wanted the power of God. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so after a short period of time, he finally, you know, broke himself loose and came out. And as soon as he took the first bite of that biscuit, the Holy Spirit said, you sure did give up quick. <laughs> Man, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. So next time he goes back in there, he decided to lock himself in. He said, don't, he told his wife, don't open the door. I don't care if I'm kicking and screaming. You leave me in there with meet with God. And he came out with some pretty heavy stuff for the body of Christ. I want to encourage you that if you're setting something aside in the natural and you're believing God for the supernatural man, you stay the course. Do not, don't let the enemy start messing with your mind, man. You will not die. I promise you won't, you, you shall live by giving up a little bit of food or changing your diet or staying off Facebook for a minute. We'll all live better if we stay off Facebook for a minute. Come on. I mean, the dude who owns that thing is not going to be hurting without our little bit of activity, I assure you. Now, I want to talk tonight about the, the, the prophetic church that brings testimony about Jesus Christ. A prophetic church. I believe that if we're going to be truly prophetic, then our ministry needs to glorify Jesus. Not ourselves, 
um, not just our name brand, not our organization, that if we are going to allow the full presence of God to abide on the church, the whole point that you really find out when you look at the book of Revelation is, is that those churches carried something inside of them and what it was supposed to bring is testimony and witness to Jesus. And, you know, there's a lot of distractions that are kind of running around in, in our society right now. There's a lot of things. I, I've started paying attention to the news, not for just the signs of the times. You know, let me tell you, I don't look at all the bad things and allow that to be the litmus test of the return of the Lord. I allow the things that God said in his word to guide the rudder of my heart about his return. Okay. And, and don't get me wrong. There are things in there that he talks about that he says, these things will happen in wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and all those kinds of things. And, and those things can, can rattle us a little bit, but you know, I'm kind of looking at other things that stimulate me, uh, maybe even more so than that is he said that he would not return until the gospel was preached to the end of the earth. To the gospel has been preached. And so, you know, um, I feel like what, you know, as, as, a, as a community, we need to be so aware of his presence. Because, you know, people will argue and debate all day long about theology, but when the presence of someone shows up, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, what do you really have when you're sharing your testimony with somebody, when you're telling them how, how your life has now changed, I mean, do you like give like some theological argument as to what really happened? All you have is the story that goes something kind of like, well, I used to be like this and now I'm like this. It's like, well, I, I was doing this and then I encountered something that I could not see with my eyes or really hear with my ears. And it so radically changed me aside, I could never go back to that life again. I believe that what will usher in a true movement of repentance is when we really have an awareness of his presence. Not whenever some guy preaches a harder message or shouts and yells at you. That's not what moves you to repentance. What moves us to repentance is when we do, when what happens, what we were singing about. When he walks into the room, when he walks into the room, you can't deny he's there. But then we kind of wonder, well, why is it sometimes we don't feel him here? Well, I believe there's something to do with us coming to him with all of our heart. People show up for all kinds of reason now to go to church. All kinds of reasons. And it's not here to pick on anything other than just this, that, that if I'm going to come, he's, he wants us to come, to come to him with all of our heart. But then the question is, is our heart divided? And we're not actually bringing him all of our heart. We've actually have, you know, other things that's fighting for position in our heart and our affection. And so whenever we come, man, and we come to seek him and to, to, to worship him, I believe that repentance begins to fall on a group of people who really are hungry for his presence, who are thirsty and desperate for him. 
And I, I think, you know, if you want to know what, what we're really trying to build here, the culture that we're trying to build here, we, we're not trying to build a cool culture. We're trying to build a culture of honor and worship to Jesus. And if you happen to be cool, then welcome. <laughs> if you happen to not be cool, are you willing to give him all of your worship? It doesn't matter. But in order for us to be a prophetic church, we're going to have to bear witness to the testimony of Jesus Christ. I feel like you could sum the book of Revelation up in a very simple way. There's a lot of things in here that confuse people and they get distracted with a lot of imagery. And I'm gonna gonna go through tonight some of that imagery list and try to kind of deal with some of those things that, that are stumbling blocks that keep people from reading the book of Revelation. And I'm here to tell you right now, the book of Revelation should be our favorite part of the Bible right now. It should be our favorite part of the Bible. And I want to make this very clear, not because we're reading book of Revelation as if it's some kind of like, you know, um, history that was, that was given a long time ago. I'm not looking for it, trying to figure out, oh, when's he coming back? I want to let the book of Revelation teach me how to live in relationship with him in a perverse generation. How to make him famous right now and not be distracted with the things that people get so distracted with. And so, you know, I think that the book of Revelation really at the heart of it is summed up this way. Who and what are the inhabitants of the earth going to worship? I think in a nutshell that what we really find out is we find out what are people going to give their heart to? What are people going to actually say, you know what? I'm fully invested in this. And so you, you read through the book of Revelation and you see how there was this, you know, huge empire and there were so many gods that were being worshiped and there was so many different images and icons and different things that were dominating the people's minds and dominating their what they saw every day they're looking at towering statues of men and those these men are posturing them saying i'm a god worship me And so, you know, God's grace, he takes a man like John and he pulls him up to heaven and he says, I want to give you a perspective. I want you to see how I see. That's the beauty of the book of Revelation is it's Jesus's way and heaven's way of trying to purge our minds of all the garbage. Because see, these people were being inundated and flooded with all these intense spiritual, political, and economic things happening around them. And God was like, I'm going to give you a real revelation. I want you to really see what's going on. And I'm going to tell you right now, we in America need the same revelation right now. We need to get caught up and see things the way God sees things. And reading the book of Revelation, you read all of this deep imagery, the seven spirits of God and the lamps that are burning before his throne. My God, is he coming now? (laughs) It's like overwhelming. It's like, what is that? You know what's trying to happen? Jesus is trying to get control of his church's thought life again. Jesus is trying to 
take some who are in the church and say, I don't want you just to be in a church. I want you to be bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. A lot of people go to church, but do you want to be a bride? There's a difference. There really is a difference. It's somebody who wants to be right by your side, right by your side. Come on. She is so embarrassed now. It's awesome. <laughs> My wife does not like being front and center, but I love you. And you're an amazing wife and beautiful lady. And thank you for carrying our baby. You know what Jesus is trying to do? Jesus is saying, man, I'm trying to get down on my knee. And you not just be somebody, but you are somebody to me. That I want you to have all of me. Know all of my heart. Know what's in my mind. I am not waffling my life off and having somebody on the side and coming home to you, living some deceived life, but actually you are my focus. You have captured my gaze. And no matter if anybody else in the world finds you beautiful, you are beautiful to me. Because see, there are always going to be people who don't think Jesus is as beautiful. But whenever he has fully captured your heart, you will find him more beautiful than any other treasure on the planet. So revelation is fighting to cleanse the hearts and minds of people so that they will stop living an adulterous life. Why is it it's so amazing to me when you read the book of the Old Testament and you see adultery and idolatry so closely associated? Because this is the reason why. Because God feels like whenever we bow down and worship other gods, that's the same thing as a husband or a wife, a spouse, actually cheating on them. That's how he feels about it. And I'm here to tell you right now that, that you may find yourself giving yourself, bowing down to other things. That doesn't have to be the end of your story. Some people live right there, but you have a word from heaven that says, repent and turn to me with all of your heart. We were just singing about this first love, this first love affection. The enemy wants to distract and confuse us from us giving all of our heart, all of our affection to the one who wants to make you clean. Lord, I pray right now for all of those who are in this room and those who are watching on the internet right now. Would you forgive us of worshiping other things other than you. Lord, would you forgive us from living such an adulterous life spiritually? In Jesus' name I pray. Do you know in the, the epistle of Ephesians, the apostle Paul gives us this analogy. He talks about washing 
the bride with the word. He talks about husbands laying your lives down for your wife as Christ did the church. And you begin to put something together here that what he's trying to make an analogy that we can wrap our minds around. I can understand that I need to read the word to my wife. I need to wash my wife with the cleansing of this word that whenever hopelessness tries to grip her mind and her heart, I say, babe, let's keep our mind focused on truth. He says, put your thoughts on things that are good, noble, and true, that, that he is faithful. We don't have to be hopeless. Or whenever things are, 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 our children are battling sickness, it's like, you know what, we're not going to allow that to root in our hearts. We're going to believe the word, and we can pray for the sick, and they shall recover. I'm going to wash her with the word. And this is what Jesus is saying to his church right now. He's saying, I want to wash you with my word. Why? Because so much of his body is, is polluted. Polluted. Because our ear has been distracted and our eye gate has been distracted and our mind has been consumed by the culture and the age around us. So we need that purging and that cleansing. That's why John was caught up into the third heaven. It's why the book of Revelation was written. It, when you read the very opening portion of Revelation chapter one, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Do we take to heart what is in his word? Are we taking it to heart? Are we letting him wash our heart? What would our society look like if we no longer sectioned off parts of our heart and we actually said, God, by your spirit, I'm all in, I'm all yours. You know, you kind of think about it from this perspective. I mean, how hurtful would it be if my wife, if, if I was longing for all of my wife's affection and attention, but she kept giving herself to a few others, kept giving herself to a few others. And, but, but she comes home, she comes home and, you know, we still sit down and have dinner together, but there's still parts of her that's going out here. There is a remnant of people who are going to be awakened to this reality. They're not interested in playing church anymore. They want to be a bride. They really want to be bone of his bone. Reading the book of Revelation helps us understand that the root evil of the Roman Empire lies within idolatrous worship. That's the root problem. I keep wanting to move on to these other things that I have that's really good to talk about, but I, I feel like there is a, I need to lay the ax to this thing. The same root problem that the churches in the book of Revelation 
were dealing with and the Roman Empire was dealing with, with idolatrous worship is still the same problem we have today. Still the same problem. It looks different in so many different ways, but the root is the same. It's what are we going to bow down to? What are we going to give more of our heart to? And consequently, instead of driving through our town and seeing statues that look like perhaps the kind of statues that you would have saw in the Roman Empire, we've just changed the idols at which we bow down to. What idols are fighting for your affection right now? What idols are warring and you need the Holy Spirit to purge your mind and your conscience and your spirit? You know, let me say this one. As a man for years, one of the idols that used to capture my attention, it's a little word called success. Anybody ever dealt with that one. Success. Not that nasty thing called pornography. Nobody deals with that. No. Success. Success. You say, I'm going to make a very bold statement. Our seeking success can keep you out of heaven. It can. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and they were having conversation back and forth. And he said, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. But I'm successful. My identity is in what I have. My identity is wrapped up in, in what I've been keeping the commands. But that's not the point. I want all of your heart. I want all of your heart. And see, then you got to back up and ask another question. Well, wait a minute. Does he not want me to be successful? We're missing the point. We're missing the point. We have no understanding of who he really is. To even ask that question, does he want me to be successful, means I don't understand his goodness and his nature and his kindness and his holiness, that everything he touches is successful. How can it not be? He is the creator of heaven and earth. Everything he does is successful. Even the bum on the street who has received Jesus as his Lord and Savior can be successful. At least that's what I read in the parable of Lazarus. This imagery list, I want to read to you a few things. I want to talk about the seven spirits of God. I want to talk to you about the lamps that are burning. I want to talk to you about the beast that comes out of the sea and the beast that comes out of the earth. And the point here is, is I want to eliminate the distractions that come up in so many people's minds. I want to give you some quick, just things that you can understand about these particular imageries. Revelation chapter one is the first reference of the seven spirits of God. Revelation chapter one, four I'm going to give you several passages. You can jot them down. 1-4, Revelation 3-1, Revelation 4-5, and Revelation 5-6. I'm going to go through these. Here's the first one. Revelation 1-4. 
Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. That's the first reference of the seven spirits. People read that and they start wrestling with what is the seven spirits. Some translations say the sevenfold spirit. Next verse, chapter three, verse one says, as Jesus is addressing the church at Sardis, he says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Revelation chapter four, five. Revelation 4, 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were burning. Just remember that. Before the throne, there are seven lamps that are burning. The other place that we recognize conversation about lamps is if you remember whenever John begins to address the seven churches, it says here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, that there are seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels and the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So you see that there are seven lamps that are blazing and he says these are the seven spirits of God. Let me read to you the next one. Revelation chapter 5, 6. And I actually want to start in verse 6. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me see here. It's kind of the, the, the references in the middle of 6 and 7. So let me start in verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the four elders. And you're going, what are those four living creatures? And so many times we get distracted with that imagery. I'm going to touch on some of that. I may not go to the four living creatures tonight because I may need more time to build a case for that, but, but I may reference it. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Okay. Now, a few things that I want to begin to just kind of make clear to you. When you're reading the book of Revelation, you see a reoccurring number. What is that number? for a reason, because seven speaks to fullness and completeness. So whenever you begin to read into the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven, you get where I'm going? There's a reason why the number seven is attached to those, and we'll get into greater detail, but it's talking about those seals begin to talk about judgments. So we're talking about complete judgments, fullness of judgments. So just so you can kind of have some context here, the number seven is a very important number. So when you read about the seven spirits of God, um, the, the, the main thing that I want you just to walk away with is understanding is, is John is caught up into heaven and he is seeing things that he's never saw before. He's hearing things. And you got to think about it from this perspective. If you had never seen a helicopter before in your life and somebody were to take you to a field and they were to show you this object that's in the field, you would go, what is that? You're looking at it. You have no framework. You have no context. You're looking at something that you've never seen before. And then all of a sudden you see two people walking with legs. You know what humans look like. 
And you're like, well, those are people, but they have helmets on their head and they have dark shields over their faces. And so you can't see them. And so you have some understanding between two realms. There's something you've never seen before. You're seeing something that looks familiar. They get inside of this object and all of a sudden it starts making noises. And you're like, oh Lord, what's about to happen? When you begin to see these blades turning and all of a sudden the rotors are moving and this thing lifts up off the ground. You'd be like, angel in heaven, what is this? So what I want you to understand is, is that there are things that represent things that whenever John is coming back trying to give human language to it, it's a little bit difficult to put into human perspective sometimes. So whenever he's talking about the seven spirits of God that are sent out into the, all the earth, way, the way you need to interpret that is this is the divine spirit of God. This is the fullness of God's spirit that would be released in all the earth. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Go wait in Jerusalem until I release to you my spirit that is sent out into all the earth. It's the divine spirit of God. Um, the number four many times represents the number of man. And you can pick that up in Revelation chapter 7, 1, where it talks about the angel that is actually holding back the four winds of the earth, the four corners of the earth. These angels are, are, are set in divisions. And so there, it, it, this number four is relating to them. Revelation chapter 20, verse eight also talks about the, the angels that are related to the earth, the four corners of the earth. Now, a couple of things I want to point out about Revelation chapter five, verse six. It says that he had seven horns and seven eyes. Now, keep your finger marked there. And flip over to Zechariah chapter 3. Now, for those of us who are not like Bible scholars, just go to Matthew, because everybody can find Matthew, right? We'll go there and just back up. Just hit your backup button. Er, er. Go through Malachi. We're just going to roll on past Malachi to Zechariah, taking us higher. Come on, Zechariah. Here we go. We've got to get some heavenly revelation tonight. Hey. I got some praise back there. I saw that hand. All right. Now, Zechariah. I used to think, man, this is, no, nah, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to get myself in trouble, baby. I'm not going to do it. I used to think sometimes, though, reading some of this stuff, man, it was like, what were these dudes doing whenever they were getting all this stuff? All right. Because I remember seeing things back in the day, but that's for a different, that's for a different time. Zechariah chapter 4. I want to read this to you, and then, um, and then I'm going to break some pieces out for you. Then the angel who talked with me returned and awakened me as a man, waking, awakened from his sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a, a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with the seven channels to the light. Also, there are two olive trees that are by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. 
I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, it's a helicopter I've never seen before. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. Hands with his hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which reigns throughout the earth. Now stop right there. I'm going to read something to you from chapter three of Zechariah, chapter three, verse nine. If you just kind of scoot your eyeballs over, since we're talking about eyes, he says right here, verse nine, see the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that stone. Right above that, God begins to talk to Zechariah he says, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of you, Joshua? There, there are seven eyes on that stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Now, who are we talking about? Jesus. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. And this representation, this, this seven eyes on this stone, this capstone will be brought out. God said, this is the branch that I have brought forth to remove the sin from the world will come from Jesus. Now, when you see these seven lights with seven channels with the two olive trees, here's what I want you to pick up on as you're reading the book of Revelation. Okay. John is not so heavenly minded that he is no earthly good. What do I mean by that? John knew the former prophet's prophecies. He knew what the prophecy from Zechariah was. And so you find in the book of Revelation comments about the lampstands and about the olive trees. And you read about the olive trees called the two witnesses found in Revelation chapter 12. Okay? Now, Revelation chapter 12, let me read this. I don't think I gave Bryant the scripture for this one. Revelation chapter 11, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 11, verse four. Listen to this. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Okay? The olive trees in Zechariah are talking about witness. The lampstands we already know from Revelation chapter uh, two is that the lampstands represent who? The church, the churches. And these churches filled with the seven spirits of God, the divine spirit of God are before the throne of God doing what? Burning, burning for him. Now, I want you to really make the connection here with Zechariah and John for a reason. Let me flip back over here. 
This is really important that you see this. The olive trees speak to witness. The olive trees also, in their literal translations, literally mean sons of oil. We're called to be sons of oil that are burning before the Lord. Now, what's going on in the Roman Empire is that you hear this language about the beast, okay? Just kind of mark that for a moment. Flip over to uh, Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to try not to go too fast. I just don't want to not give you the information and run out of time. Revelation 13 It talks about a beast that comes out of the sea. And then there's a beast that comes out of the earth. The beast that comes out of the sea is, just to make it very simple, um, is the Roman political and military power. And it represents the emperors. This beast that's coming out of the sea would be the emperor the military power, the economic power, all wrapped up into this one beast. Now, at the time that this is being written, this is what I feel like in my study of reading many people who are a whole lot smarter than me, and what I feel like by revelation and talking to other guys is that I feel like this particular beast is represented through the emperor Nero. We know that Nero committed suicide, okay? And in this particular passage of scripture, When you read about the beast, it says one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. Let me, let me, let me just back up and just read from Revelation 13.1, because if I don't, we're going to miss the context here. Revelation 13.1. Is everybody there? Okay. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on his horns. Let me make a comment about horns for just a moment, okay? Horns represent power, Okay military power or just authority. And you even find, you know, um, in um, other various passages where you find out that the, even, even the horns that are on the lamb represent his power that's going to go out and fight in the earth. So you see these 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on his horns and on each head, a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but he had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. I insert Nero right there, okay? That's around 68 AD. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Now, I want to make this make sense to you what's actually happening there. It says that the fatal wound had been healed and the whole world was saying, who is like the beast? Nero committed suicide and it looked as if the empire was going to be split apart. We already told you guys weeks ago that they had four emperors in one year. Could you imagine if we had four presidents in one year? Okay, 
The kind of chaos, political chaos and economic chaos. So it looked like the beast, which is the Roman empire and the whole Roman system is getting ready to collapse. And all of a sudden, it is revitalized through a new dynasty, the Flavian dynasty. And so it looks as if now it's, it's, it's coming back to life. This is what the people say. Men worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. Ultimately, guys, Satan is using this as a cover to receive the worship of humanity. Remember I told you in the very, very beginning, this whole thing can be summed up. Who are the inhabitants of the earth going to worship? Satan wants to be honored. Satan wants to be worshiped. So he's giving power to this beast through this system so that the people will worship him. And they said, who is like the beast who can make war against him? This is echoing what happened in Exodus chapter 15 when God delivered the children of Israel. He, you, you see the song of Moses in Exodus 15, 11. It says, who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, O Lord? Okay, so what I, one of the big things I want you to see in the book of Revelation is the antichrist spirit operating in the book of Revelation. You see God bringing forth the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. You see God's story of this lamb. Then you begin to see Satan's story also coming forth. Okay, and it's an anti-picture of what's happening from heaven. Um, now, I want to flip back over here to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, back in verse 6, he says, He had this lamb, the lamb that looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, circled by the four living creatures and the elders. Who are these elders, the 24 elders that are casting their crowns before the Lord? I think you have the 12 tribes of Israel and I think you have 12 apostles. That makes 24. It makes pretty good sense to me. They represent the completion of the old and the new coming together, worshiping the lamb that was slain. He had seven horns and seven eyes. This is talking about Jesus the stone, that had, the branch that had seven eyes. So he had seven horns and seven eyes. What is so peculiar about these eyes? Why is it so important? Most people feel like the eye of God is just going around trying to find all of our faults, right? It's like sometimes you feel like you need to run from God. He sees everything you're doing wrong, okay? Here's the bigger picture that we need to understand. As a Christian, the eye of the Lord is not trying to go through my life just to pick out all my flaws. That's his son. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sin. You know what the eye of the Lord is searching through the earth? The injustice in the earth. He is looking. His all-seeing eye is roaming through the earth. And this is what he is saying. The people are terrified of this political and economic monster called the beast, called the Roman Empire. And God's saying, my eye sees everything that they are doing. My eye sees when they're persecuting these believers. He is wanting to encourage the body of Christ to not lose heart or lose hope. You know, we say this, this, we make this statement all, all the time that a picture is worth a thousand words. God took John up to see things with his eyes so he could come back and really have to have, to be able to explain this to people. It's to help cleanse their eyes, to help cleanse their hearts. 
Now, um, Zechariah chapter four, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start kind of shifting gears here because of the time. And I'm gonna get back into this more again in a couple of, in the next few weeks. I wanna focus on this verse and then I wanna read something to you out of Matthew and, and we'll land this plane. Zechariah chapter four, the prophet hears from the angel of the Lord. He says right here in verse six, he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Most people on the planet are moved by man-made power. Most people are moved. Unless you are born again, unless you have a revelation of heaven, most people are pushed around by their money, by political power, by influence. And if you look at the Roman Empire, here's what God is saying. He's saying, I'm giving my sevenfold divine spirit to the churches. I'm putting the fullness of who I am and I'm gonna release it into my churches that are burning before me and it will not be by might, it will not be by power that my kingdom is spread through the earth. It is by my spirit. Do you see the, 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 the impact of the spirit of God? We're not going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because somehow we had strong, we, we had some greater influence. It's not going to be because we had greater military power because then you know what we would do? We would worship the military power. We would worship that instead of giving worship to God. God is saying, it is not by our might. It's not by our power. It is by my spirit. And he is choosing to let his spirit operate in the church to take the gospel forward. Now, talking about presence, flip over to Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to close with these thoughts, this passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. How many people in our world right now, they want to see a miraculous sign? I'll believe in your God if he does a trick, as if he's like some kind of magician. Hey, I'll believe in, I'll believe in Christianity if you can do something to like show me it's real. Okay. Now, this is the same generation is making this statement. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah, except the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. 
When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and it does not find it. You all of a sudden it goes, why is he talking about that all of a sudden? Why is he going from a sign and people rejecting the prophet to now he's talking about evil spirits coming out? Let's go on. It says that it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of, the, of that man is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. What is he saying? The branch that is selected from heaven, Jesus Christ, has been sent to the earth. And he's saying, you're demanding a sign of me. Here is your sign. The prophet Jonah, who was three days in the the belly of a fish. Jesus spent three days in the heart of the earth. Jesus came to set the order in the earth, to make things right. He swept things clean. He put things in order. He is saying, we're getting this demonic thing out of here. But here is the question. Unless something takes its place, they come back. So what's going to occupy the space? What's going to occupy his space in the earth? Because Jesus said, no miraculous sign will be given to this wicked generation, but the prophet Jonah is what you're going to get. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ operating in the church of Jesus Christ. It is not by power nor by might, but by his spirit. I'm going to tell you something right now. If we don't want evil to occupy the land, then let's ask for his presence through his spirit to occupy our hearts. Then it'll have no place. And this is why the book of Revelation is so vital to the church right now. And don't ignore it because it's a message to the church where the church had become convoluted and, and, and you see through these different churches, there was hypocrisy, there was lethargy, there was false doctrine, there was people giving their heart and affection to other things other than God. And I'm here to tell you, when that happens in the church, it allows the evil forces of evil in. The only thing that can keep us clean is His Spirit. The only thing that can move the church forward is the power of his divine spirit. So here's the question. Are you living out of your head? Are we living out of this thing right here that's been so contaminated by our hurts and our pains and the things we watched on TV? Or are we going to live from here? Are we going to, no, live from here? From this, this rising up. This coming out of me, letting his word wash me and make me clean. I was talking with Brother Jim Saturday morning and talking about our mind. In the Garden of Eden, everything got reversed. Adam and Eve used to live from here and their connectedness to God, and then they sinned and their minds were exalted over their spirit. 
That's why they felt shame. That's why they were disconnected because they were not living as they were created to live by. You, my friend, are created to live by the Spirit if you are born of the Spirit. And when you listen to His voice, He is not a shepherd who would lead you astray. Now, what does that look like today in this modern world right now that you and I live in? Because we've been talking about engaging culture. Who are you going to give your worship to? Ultimately, we're going to find out as we continue to work through the book of Revelation. The beast that comes up out of the earth is an imperial religious cult, a system in which makes the people give honor to the bigger beast. I can tell you right now that if you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, the system that is operating around us is fighting for your worship. It's fighting for it. We're not in an institution yet where our government is forcing you to believe certain things. But can you see the wedge that's coming in? Can you see the wedge that's coming in? I loved what the superintendent said last week. He said, don't tell me that prayer isn't happening in school. Every time a test is given, they're praying. And I'm here to tell you right now, as he said last week, that our issue is not because of prayerlessness in the school. It's prayerlessness in the home. It's prayerlessness in our own churches. Why is that? It can only be for one reason. We're giving our heart to other things. We're giving our affection to other things. So my God told me to cleanse you with the washing of his word, and I've done that. What you do with it is up to you. Whether you go home and allow it to take root is up to you. But we will all be held accountable for the truth that we have heard. Would you stand to your feet? I want to just say this to you guys. With all of my heart, please forgive me if I don't communicate in a way that is perfect. My intention is to not distract you. My intention is not to confuse you. My heart is to point you to the one who can save. But I don't want to end up on the other side of heaven and I get rebuked by my Lord and Savior because I did not give truth. It's too late to prepare for the storm when it's on top of you. It's too late to put hurricane shutters up at that point. During this season and this time, ask the Lord to give you revelation of his heart and of heaven. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I wanna pray. Lord, you said when an evil spirit is cast out, it goes through dry, arid places, seeking a place 
Lord, I pray that that would not be found in our city. Lord, I pray that the space that is occupied in Pensacola, Florida, will be occupied by the power of your spirit. That, Lord, we ask where the enemy has found strongholds in our city through division and divisiveness, through violence, through murder, through drugs, through alcoholism, through abuse of every kind. Lord, I'm asking you right now to send us something of your spirit that saturates our city again. I believe God will send us revival when we're tired of living without it. I believe God will send us a move of his spirit when we're tired of other things being the substitute for his spirit. And maybe the best place we could be right now is to have a repentant heart like the city of Nineveh. Why did Nineveh repent? Because they heard about a prophet who was coming with a word from the Lord. And he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And he's coming to tell you God is going to judge this city and he's going to destroy it. By the time the prophet got there, they were ready to repent. It astounded the prophet that they repented. He didn't care about those people. He didn't like those people. But by the time the word of the Lord got there, it had already conditioned their heart to repent. We need a move of God's presence that is so strong that a five-year-old kid could stand up here and say, give glory to God and us all hit our faces. That it doesn't matter what vessel he wants to use. He's just looking for a vessel to use. Will you be a vessel that he can use? God, I pray tonight that the wind of change is happening in our city. That the wind of your spirit is blowing again. And Lord, I pray that we will not have a stubborn heart any longer. But Lord, I pray that the gentlest breeze of your spirit would move us. Lord, we're asking you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Can we give the Lord some praise, church? Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our prayer team if you guys would come up, some of these guys on our prayer team, if you need somebody just to pray with you, to agree with you. Man, if some of the stuff I'm talking about tonight is jacking you up and you need somebody to pray with you for that, then just come on. Just come up. We'll be happy to pray with you guys. We love you. God bless you. May his face shine upon you. Keep you safe. Have a good night.